The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziegler, your premier source for equipping coaches to help leaders and top performers excel professionally and personally. Visit Ziegler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. In this episode of The Ziegler Show, the focus is how to have faith you are capable of more. You are not just who you are today, but what you can become, right? Well, it's easy to say monumentally hard to get any traction with. So I'm going to play a five minute clip from Zig Ziglar, where he tells a personal story of his own journey from a poor, uh, mediocre salesperson to literally one of the best. And it radically changes life. The catalyst came from one discussion with a man who simply expressed faith in him. We don't even know if the faith was legitimate or if it was just a tactic. Either way, it worked though. So I break down the story and get it down to the foundational aspects of understanding that we all have simply agreed to expectations for ourselves that are limited, right? But it's not a, hey, you're limitless and capable of anything message. And it actually is overwhelming, um, but you're, you're not limitless. You're not capable of, of just anything. That's what gives motivation a bad name, actually. Ultimately, though, it's you literally deciding to have faith that you can perform at a higher level, not with more effort, just a different effort. That's it. A different picture of yourself. If you're lucky, someone will come along and say, hey, we've been watching you and we think that you could be the best at what, whatever. But chances are that mystery person's not going to show up. It's up to you, us, to be that person who tells ourselves, you know, Hey self, I have faith. I'm limiting myself with expectations I've agreed with and the picture I've had of myself. And I'm now choosing to have faith. I'm capable of more. So I'm going to try some new things. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is the Ziegler show ranked number two, and all-time career podcasts in Apple Podcasts. And our focus is growing your professional and personal success by helping you grow into your full capacity. My core podcast is called What Drives You, newly renamed from the Motive Podcast. And it's devoted to the reasons that drive you and getting you clear on them so you can finally get what you truly want. My True Life Podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website at kevinmiller.co. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. 
Okay, friends, I'm going to cue up right now this five-minute clip from Zig Ziglar, and then I'm going to break it down into its essence that you can embrace for yourself. Here are some show sponsors and then Zig. Okay, here then is this five-minute clip from Zig Ziglar on a personal story that I'm going to break it down for your consumption and personal utilization. Personally speaking, let me tell you something. First two and a half years, I was in sales, and that's where I got my professional start. I was not what you'd call an overwhelming success. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even a whelming success. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean I didn't sell a lot, because I did. I sold my furniture, sold my car. <laughs> and that is reasonably close to the truth. We had a very difficult time, and as time goes on, I'll share a little more about that. But then one day, I went to a meeting. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a meeting I came with an Annette's eyelash of missing because at 5.30 the next morning, when I was supposed to go to that meeting, I'd been there the day before, spent the day, didn't learn a thing. Have you ever been to one of those all day, not learned a thing? I didn't. Next morning at 5.30, the alarm clock sounded off. Now, in those days, it was an alarm clock. Now, of course, I recognize it as an opportunity clock. Because if you hear it, you have got an opportunity to get up and go. If you can't hear it, that might mean you done got up and gone. Well, anyhow, uh, <laughs> you know, every day is a good day. And if you don't believe it, you just try missing one of them, all right? So uh, opportunity clock got me out of bed, except that day it was the alarm clock. Force of habit got me up. I cracked the Venetian blinds. We were living in this luxury apartment, uh, three bedrooms, or three rooms, rather, above a grocery store, just to emphasize the luxury part of it. I looked outside, and the weather said, Ziegler, no sane human being would get up and go out there in that weather. I was driving a little Crosley automobile that didn't have a heater in it. So I did what any intelligent person would do. I lay down, and we get back in bed. But as I lay there... The words of my mother came back to me from my childhood, and words are so incredibly important. They change lives. As a child, she had said, your word is your bond, and if your word is no good, eventually you're no good. When they had given me the job, which it took me over two months to get, they just didn't think I could sell. And the first two and a half years, all I did is prove this about right. Uh, when they'd given me the job, they had made me promise that I would attend all sales meetings and all training sessions. And in two and a half years, not only had I never missed one, I had never even been late for one. I rolled out of bed. I went to the meeting. That day changed my sales career dramatically. My hero was conducting the meeting that day. His name was P.C. Merrill. Mr. Merrill had set all of the records. He had written the training program. Uh, he was a man of absolute integrity. Now, why he chose to do this, I will never know. But when the meeting was over, there were only 21 of us there that day. But he pulled me aside and said, I want to talk with you personally. I was truly flattered. Here was a man whom I loved and trusted and respected, and he chose me out of 21. Now, why did he? I don't know. The year before, I probably had not been in the top 4,000 out of all of the salespeople in that 7,000 salesperson company. He got me aside, and it was a very short meeting. He said, Zig, I've been watching you for two and a half years. I have never seen such a waste. And I said, well, Mr. Merrill, what do you mean? He said, I believe you could be a great one. I believe you could be a national champion. 
I believe you could go all the way to the top. I believe that someday, if you just believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule, that you could, number one, be the national champion. Number two, someday you could become an executive in this company. Mr. Merrill said you could be a great one. I respected him enormously. I believed him. When I left that meeting that day, an entirely different person was driving that little car back home. I finished the year the number two salesman in America out of over 7,000 salespeople. I had the best promotion the company had to offer. The next year, I had the best promotion that was available and was the highest paid field manager in the United States. What had happened? Well, it's, it's very important you understand a couple of things. First of all, in two and a half years, I'd learned the sales skills. I knew how to get prospects, make appointments, handle objections, conduct demonstration, and close the sales. The salesperson was technically ready. But until the person got ready, nothing was happening. The picture you have of yourself is so important. The words my mother used on me as a child were enormously important. The words Mr. Merrill said to me were enormously important. Well, folks, there is the clip uh, from Zig and that story. I mean, it's just a classic story of humanity, but I want to take you to this. I mean, Zig, Zig Ziglar, the great Zig Ziglar, who's said to have influenced over 250 million people. That's, that's old, actually. That's before the Ziglar show actually even started that I've been doing for, what, six years now. This guy influenced so many people. His books, See You at the Top and others, some of the most best-selling business and personal development books of all time that people like Seth Godin talk about having changed uh, their lives. As a matter of fact, it was Seth Godin who on Tim Ferriss's podcast cited that Zig Ziglar was the grandfather of personal development and changing people's lives for the better and why they were all able to do what they could do. So here he was. Now at this time, in this story, Zig was just a regular guy, if not a, a mediocre man. Uh, again, one of the most influential people, but he was doing poorly at that time. So he wanted a job in sales. The guy's just trying to make a buck just like us. So again, take him off the pedestal. He's just trying to make a dollar, trying to provide for his family. I think it was just a wife at that, that time. And he saw sales, saw that you could make some money there. He goes to a company, they literally wouldn't give him the job because he did not showcase what they were looking for in a salesperson. Again, we want to take these people who are greatly successful and think they had something special inside of them. And, and they do, but we all do. I mean, we cannot deny that. If you believe in a creator, especially, you cannot deny that you don't also have something special. It just often remains dormant and a lot of people never find it, kind of never finding their music that's inside them as I think Oliver Wendell Jones talked about, right? And so here he is, he's, he's going along. He wanted this job. He did not have what it took. He was not a natural born salesperson, which he talks about a lot. He says that natural born salespeople don't exist. So he's, he's not two months he takes to convince the company to give him a job. And he does it by making promises. Like he'll show up for, you know, every meeting and learn things. So that was probably his first successful sale, right? He, he finally got them to agree to give him the job. Then as he said, listen to this, he spent two and a half years proving they were right, that he couldn't sell and he didn't. 
He talks about being, you know, number 4,000 or something in his company. So the guy started and there was no big spark. There was no great story. Two and a half years go by and he's not selling and he's living a very pauper-ish life uh, with his wife. I mean, so how many of you have taken a job and done poorly for a full two and a half years? And I'm going to bet most people here are going to say, gosh, that, that is a long time to be languishing in a job. I'm going to bet most of the people here, if they have a job or a business, didn't spend two and a half years uh, doing poorly. And so he's going along, no personal epiphany, no nothing. How much longer you know, would he have gone along just, just doing that? How many, how personally aware was Zig Ziglar at this time? Doesn't sound like much. How much of a positive attitude did he have? Man, he was living according to just who he thought he was. And he probably wasn't thinking much about who he was, which is normal for humans. We're not thinking about ourselves that much. We're not being aware and conscious of what we think about ourselves. I mean, who did he believe he was? And how, just like us going through the days, he's just going through the day, trying to make it have a little fun, maybe. I mean, we wake up and sometimes, maybe all the time, like him, we're not looking forward to the day, especially if the circumstances are lacking, like Zig, with yet another sales meeting to go and attend, like all the others he had attended, as he promised, that obviously had not helped him. Not that they were bad, but it just, it wasn't, he wasn't taking in anything that seemed to help him. So it's a cold, dreary day outside. His old car doesn't have any heat. Man, I I feel that. So the promise of the day, what he believed was in store for him is he'd go through the drudgery of another sales meeting for no foreseeable benefit. Hadn't helped in two and a half years. I mean, has this ever happened to you? And we're just going about the drudgery and the chores or there's the monotony. Maybe it's not drudgery, but we're just going through the day, not expecting anything different. I mean, Zig, like most people, had to be coerced out of a warm bed by an alarm clock that did not bring him joy. He wasn't looking forward to it. An initial saving grace was, again, the ethics, thank goodness, he was taught and showcased in his, in his, it was in his youth by his single mom to do what you commit to doing. So at least he had that going for him. Maybe that was a saving grace. After meeting the leader... In the uh, PC Merrill that he cites, so here's this leader in the organization, and he singles out Zig, and Zig never knew why. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't talk about, well, later on, PC Merrill explained exactly why he singled him out. He doesn't know. He doesn't, I mean, how interesting is that? That doesn't really make a good story, that to not go back and reconcile that. You want to find out why and to see that there was some thread or some reason. We want to understand why. He didn't know why. No special reason he was able, ever able to point out. Was it God? Did he attribute to that? Probably later in life, Zig did. But a lot of my, people may say, that's yeah, just coincidence, dumb luck, uh, karma, whatever. Again, the previous year, he had not been in the top 4,000 salespeople in the company. So however many people were, I think he actually said, and I don't remember, were at the meeting, 20 people or something like that. And he was singled out. And the guy doesn't come up and give him some big kudos. He just says, man, I've never seen such a waste. It's not very inspiring. I believe you could be a great one, though. As, as after after uh, Zig asks him why, I believe you could be a great one. Was that true? That's what's curious to me. We won't know. Zig Ziglar has passed away. We can't ask him. Was that true? Or PC Merrill, I guess, is, is long passed away. 
Uh, did he really believe Zig could be a great win? Did he really spend time looking at this guy out of all the other salespeople, this guy who was doing so poorly and really believe he could be a great one? Was that true? If Zig had, had failed for two and a half years, what would make PC Merrill see anything in, in him that was promising? Uh, he obviously had not changed. He had not progressed during that time. He had just shown up. What if PC Merrill's, this was a game he played to see what would happen with different salespeople. Maybe he'd done that to plenty of other salespeople. Now, again, I don't know folks, but I'm just playing with realities here or, or possible, I should say possible realities here. What if that was just a game total, uh, it had no specific merit that PC Merrill just did this. He says, Hey man, every meeting I'm going to single out one guy and I'm going to tell him that because my experience is it helps make them become a better performer right? We don't know. But PC Merrill expressed belief for some reason in Zig. Zig believed him. He doesn't know why the belief was expressed in him. Uh, PC, he doesn't go on to say, because PC Merrill says that he would, was auditing me and he'd had me followed and he'd been listening to my phone calls and he'd heard these special out attributes that proved to him that I really had it. We don't have that. Zig just says, PC Merrill, the guy just testified that he thought he could be great. And Zig decided to believe him. He didn't have to, he could have blown it off and gone on, but thank goodness he just believed him. So let's look at that though. And to that point, had he been living, had Zig been living up to the expectations of other people that maybe hadn't said he could be anything great or had he just, I think it, it doesn't always have to be somebody else. That's very impacting, but did it also just come from what he had chosen to agree, agree with by maybe not chosen. He had, for whatever reason, just agreed with of how he saw himself. But here's this guy and he says something and Zig believes it. So what about us? Are we living up to merely what someone has expected of us so far, what we've agreed to and what we've accepted? And I understand I, for me, I think a lot of my own limitations are things that I have just based upon my own experience of myself, my own frustrations with myself. I've agreed with the picture of what Kevin looks like to me. And I perform according to that generally. So Zig hears that and the next year goes to number two out of 7,000 people in his sales organization. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? From number 4,000 out of 7,000 to number two. And then the next year, he's the highest paid person. And it, if you, if you didn't hear it in there, he says in that two and a half years, he had been doing it, not doing well. He had attended all the meetings. He knew how to sell. So what changed in that year where he goes from number 4,000, number two was not him learning new skills, new tactics, new closing methodology. It was just him believing in himself. And through that it did, it changed his vernacular. What if his vernacular didn't even change his little sales process? It was just his attitude and his expectation. And I'm sure other things change as he believed that about himself, he probably had less fear in making the sale. And so he was more authentic in his, uh, in his, in his message to people. He wasn't so worried because now this guy tells him he could be great. So he's thinking, well, gosh, I guess I am a great salesman. And he probably went into the next sales meet or the next, uh, customer meeting 
and he wasn't, maybe he wasn't so fearful of making the sale. He wasn't trying so hard. He was more relaxed. He was more confident. They felt that and he made the sale. But again, he didn't learn, need to learn new tactics. He said, I knew that he had the ability, just not the belief in himself. You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode on getting a different and better picture of ourselves and what we can and will accomplish by trying. Let's keep going and see if I can give you some new perspectives that will help you at the end of this episode be able to, if not see yourself differently, at least try some different things based on what you're going to decide and choose to believe might be capable of Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all, and Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they were hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places, it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code KEVIN. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers 
into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. This is self-image and personal development 101, but it's also the PhD. It's pretty simple and basic, but it's monumentally hard. And we can hear these messages and nod to them. And then we turn around and we just walk out life in the way that we see ourselves. We don't really take it captive, look in the mirror or whatever you need to do, pen to paper for me often, and really consider how, what do I, how do I see myself? What do I expect of myself? Is that the end of the story? Or can there be more? And what do I do about that? I mean, again, the reality is we're all living up to the level of our expectations based on what we believe to be true about ourselves from our own testimony of what we've seen from ourselves and what others have told us. I mean, we can't do anything. Again, it's not the limitless thing. It's not, Hey, we can do anything. I really appreciate Zig's famous quote saying positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking, right? So changing this picture of yourself doesn't mean that my, Hey, I'm going to change the picture. And now I'm Superman. No, you're not. It's just saying, I'm, I'm aware that I am living below my capability. You know, back on that, you know, can we, are we limitless? Zig references in another speech he did, basketball star Shaquille O'Neal, who's 7'1", 324 pounds. So the guy knows how to think positive, to how to expect the best from himself and how to succeed, right? But no amount of positive thinking will make him a successful horse jockey. He's just too big. The physics don't work. And there's no little horse jockey who's going to win the heavyweight boxing title. I mean, again, it's just, there are, there are some, uh, there are some, some factual absolutes here. I mean, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I have never done gymnastics and I don't think that I can make the Olympic team and win a medal in the Olympics at this point in gymnastics in my life. I don't think it's humanly possible, but I am writing my first book ever. And I think it can be a bestseller. It's going to come out in February 2022 from uh, my publisher's McGraw-Hill. And I, I think it can be great. I really do. Even when I doubt myself and feel like an imposter, which I often do. I just naturally find myself thinking that way. But I, I don't think I'm ever going to totally eradicate that tendency to think negative thoughts. But I can be aware. I can take them captive and I can recognize them as untruthful. I can expect better. And then take action towards that better thing anyway, even as I still struggle with the doubts. I mean, I, I have proof that I'm not an imposter. You're listening here today because I'm not an imposter. I can actually do a good show and deliver a good message. I, I know other authors who doubted their ability, many. Uh, the bookshelf, for those watching the video behind me, are full best-selling books from authors who doubted their ability and even had little testimony that pointed to their ability to have a bestseller. And yet they wrote something and boom, there it went. 
I mean, right now you see yourself as who you feel you are. You believe who you think you are. But what if someone came along and said, hey, we've been watching you day to day. We've had a video camera, which these days I think we're, we're videotaped and seen and known much more than we think we are. So we've been watching you and we think what we see in you is the ability to be the best at X, at your job, at being a parent, at being a spouse, uh, at your business, at your athletic performance, at your artistry, whatever. They came along and said, hey, we have been watching you. We, important, you know, important people who have credibility have been watching you. Man, we see, we see testimony that you could be great. You have what it takes. Don't we all want to hear that? We want to hear that from our parents, from our spouses, from God. You have what it takes. We're looking, hoping, dreaming, uh, even unconsciously that somebody will come along and go, man, you have what it takes. If somebody did that, how would your belief change in yourself, your faith in yourself, your perspective of yourself? It would change. You couldn't not let it change your perspective. Even if it, it could be a negative change, you could feel burdened by it. Okay. You can take it. However, you've got to choose how you're going to take it. But most people I think would, their shoulders would go back. Pulse would probably rise with excitement and they'd start considering, gosh, what is possible? So my dad recently, Dan Miller told me about a book called future proofing you, Jay Samet. And he tells a story. A big part of it is this guy, uh, him mentoring this guy named Vin Clancy and helping the guy go from welfare to a millionaire in under one year. And a primary ingredient was simply Jay saying, hey, I've looked at you, watched you, audited you, you've got what it takes. That was as important as anything else. We all inherently believe other people's perceptions of us. We hear and agree with them. It's so hard not to, especially when they're close to us and we believe that they have relevant context when we have some respect for them, even if we don't have respect for them, if they've audited, been privy to our lives and they make a statement, a testimony to us, it's very, very hard to not embrace that. It's easier. It's easier not to believe. Look at a couple of scenarios when it's blatant, when you have, let's say a parent, we know the story who cruelly tells their child, you're terrible. You're never going to amount to anything. It's very blatant, right? And the kid has more propensity to reject it and go make something of themselves out of rebellion and proving that parent wrong, right? But what if the parent, I'm afraid this, no, I'm not afraid. I, I know this is far more dangerous. What if the parent is overall pretty great, kind and loving, but says something limiting? I mean, think of the terms, you know, hey, let's, let's be realistic, Hey, don't watch out. Don't get your hopes up. Hey, let's, let's be reasonable. Don't set yourself up for disapp disappointment. I just want to protect you. Or goes so far as to give some seemingly respectful, but some constructive criticism that brings you down a notch, right? I mean, I've seen parents and teachers and employers and, and authority figures time and time again, under the perspective of caution and care, give limiting expectations uh, and, and limiting you know, perspectives of our abilities and capacity to us. And they want us to be safe. Maybe they really do care. I think oftentimes they do. But when you're a little kid and they tell you you can do and be anything, uh, and then high school comes along around then, the tune changes. Now it's be safe, be stable, not abundant, not flourishing, not great, just good. And we buy into that and believe it because it's also the norm. We also have a culture 
in the true, in my true life podcast, I don't know what episode, I can't remember the episode, but we talk about how powerful, maybe the most powerful thing in our lives as we pursue uh, health and wellness is the flow of the culture and the norm of the culture. And if you really want to be healthy and well, you have to step out of the culture and be weird in essence, or be very different. And it's so, that's so difficult. So to think that we could, who are we to do something, you know, better or different than the rest is so difficult. It's hard not to believe and agree with anyone who supposedly know us, knows us and testifies to what they see in us and believes about us. Uh, to reject what somebody cites about us seems foolish, right? Like we're just in denial. Hey, I've been very privileged to have a lot of support in my life, but I have had some people close to me question my ability to do some things that I wanted to do. I'm grateful that I was foolish and stubborn enough to go after some of those things and succeed just so I could realize that nobody, including myself, can claim what my capacity is to take somebody who is super wise, okay, super smart, super credible, super respectful, super accomplished, and they are going to make a decision on something and a statement and a judgment and to not believe them is very difficult. And yet we've got to question that because those people make mistakes every day. We got so many stories in the world about, you know, the, the, the internet or the light bulb or some big invention or new thing that was coming along that somebody had an idea for and some brilliant person saying it's not possible, can't do it. And they were proved wrong. And yet to do that in our own lives, to take somebody and give them, maybe, maybe give them grace for being human. Okay. So you take the smartest person out there that you think of the person that you respect and revere the most, you've got to give them grace in their humanity that they can make a statement, a judgment upon you that is wrong. That's totally wrong or partially wrong. Right. Uh, there's a quote that I want to take captive for a second. Marianne Williamson. Uh, she made the quote, it's often attributed to Nelson Mandela. And it says this, you probably heard it before, but let's talk just a second. Cause it's, there's so much truth in it. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous, actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're plain small. doesn't serve the world. But that, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Let's just take that and say, who am I to be any different than the norm? Let's take away the word better, okay? And just say different. Am I better because I don't eat the average American diet and I jump over here and eat whole foods, lots, mostly vegetables, stuff? Does that make me better? That's where we screw it all up all the time. Better according to who? Let's just take that out and just say, I'm just different. Different how? Different, I want to perform differently. I don't want ailments and illness and disease. If I, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. I can't guarantee it, but I don't want that. I want, I want something different than the norm that I see out in the culture. I want to be able, I'm about to take off on a personal getaway. And one of my joys is going to be some long mountain bike rides where I'm going to go fast. And I love doing that. 
you know, somebody else has a different hobby or joy or, or whatever, but I love that. I love my ability to do that. I like being, you know, 50 years old and able to not only keep up with, but outdo most of my kids. Not that it's some competition, but I want to be young and virile as long as I can, not having a long lifespan. I mean, lifespan, that's great. I'm happy to live to be a hundred. I want a long health span. I want to be healthy and well and active. I just have no personal desire to be limited and, uh, handicapped in any way while my heart's still beating. So is that better? According to, if so, who, according to who it's not better. It's just what I want. So it's just different. But to take this aspect of our ability and capacity and accept it is scary. I think that's why she made the quote. She realized that why we have a fear, not of being inadequate, but we have a fear of what we're, what our potential is because that's just daunting. It's almost, you can almost uh, feel so tiring. So what does that mean? I do, do I have to do more, try harder, all this kind of stuff. It's scary to accept that much responsibility and take the reins of deciding what we believe about ourselves. We want school grades, sports achievements, personal profiles, work performance, and other measurements out there, external measurements to tell us what we're capable of. We just do as humans. I mean, I really do. I would love, I love it when, uh, I, I want to think and look, you know, I can look at the downloads and whatever and think, gosh, I must be doing an okay job. But when you have somebody like Michael Hyatt, um, true story, uh, it sounds like bragging, but it makes the point. And he told my dad and then somebody else, he said, Kevin is one of the top three interviewers I've ever experienced. Well, this guy's been interviewed by the best, the best. So for him to say that, that makes me believe that I'm really great. And it's not invalid, but what if he had said the opposite, man, he really stinks either way. How much weight am I giving either side of that? And, and it's not to totally dismiss it, but we just got to question. We've got to question the person's motive. But even if he said, I stink, I could also take that and say, gosh, you know, at this point, maybe I do. And especially if my, you know, it didn't have downloads and things weren't succeeding well, I didn't, but can I change tomorrow? Can I learn? Can I grow? Yes. And then, so what is my capacity? Nobody can say there is some work to be done. But man, we want those external measurements as opposed to us deciding what we want and saying, I think that I'm capable of achieving that to wake up and think we get to choose our capacity and capability and then live up to it. It is daunting, but we've got to be honest that we are capable of more. We all really want a box to live in. This is just, I, I, I say we, it includes me. I'm so aware of this. I'm getting ready again. I'm going to go off on a solo camping trip and it's funny to me how much safer I feel in a tent than just putting my sleeping bag on the ground. I mean, here in the Rocky mountains, you can generally do that. Just sleep outside and you're free from bugs up here. So high at the elevation, uh, but you may worry about a bear or a mountain lion. Well, really? So this thin little veneer of tent fabric that the wind can blow away is going to protect me from a, a bear or a mountain lion. No, but I feel safer and I laugh at myself. I've gotten used to the confines and some, some walls, even if they're irrelevant. So in regards to this, you know, the personal development hype of us being capable of anything and limitless, I don't know that that helps us much. It's too overwhelming. We want to understand our boundaries in essence. So how do we convince ourselves and do anything about it that we're capable of more? There's the Holy Grail question that nobody can answer for you, for me. 
I don't know that we can simply decide to believe more about ourselves. Just right here where we are, just right now, boom, make the decision and turn and things are different. Now, it's, that's Zig's story that if somebody else testifies, we have a better propensity of turning around the next moment going, really? Goodness, I didn't believe that or I didn't understand that about myself. Well, geez, okay, I guess I'm good. And you start acting differently. It's so difficult to do that if it's just ourselves, again, looking in the mirror, talking to ourselves, writing, whatever. But here's the thing. We can go forward and just try, just try, try something different, try something higher, greater, different. You might feel it's better. You got to make that judgment for yourself. We can say we have doubts and uncertainty and still try, try something different than what we've continued trying every day for however, for however long we have been. And just admit we're living under the limits we have agreed with. We may never have the person who comes along and says they have seen more potential in us, which just leaves us to doing it for ourselves. I mean, belief is actually a difficult word. I, I really like better faith because there are so many things that I don't know for sure. I can't know for sure. I can't have proof of, but I can choose to have faith based on what evidence I can put together. And I have no evidence that I stink, that I really am limited, that I'm really lesser than anyone else. I just don't have any proof. And as, as a man of speaking of faith, of, of spiritual faith, I don't believe I have the right to say what my limits or lack of capacity is. So I'm going to choose to have faith based on what evidence I can put together, not just evidence of what I've done, but evidence of what other people have done. Humanity has done. Say, why not me? If we look at ourselves, it's hard to make a solid case and show proof of why we can't become better and become more. Then it just comes down to the motive which is the focus of my other podcast, which had been called Motive, but we've just recently rebranded it to What Drives You. And I actually write about this in an upcoming book that as of this date is titled What Drives You. Uh, when looking at something you want and questioning it, doubting it, make a case for why you can't do it. Because, and I'm going to say this with, uh, with grace, with Hope, actually. Okay, try to listen to it with hope. Someone who has less going for them and more going against them is doing that thing that you want to do or has that thing that you want to achieve. They've done it. So that you can take that and go, well, I, then I really do stink. Or take that and go, huh, somebody with less going for it. I have more going for me. That's pretty darn hopeful. So here's to you taking this, pondering this and trying to change the picture you have of yourself and what you're truly capable of, and then taking an action and trying something that gives you the opportunity for that. I want to say better income, different, uh, a better outcome, but better for you according to where you are now, where you want to be. That's better for you. It's ultimately, it is up to us not someone else's testimony. Well, coming up in episode 901, 
I bring you a life-changing perspective. It's just, it is a bomb. I get tired of people using that word, but it really is. Shanti Feldhahn. She is a best-selling author and research who, I compare her to Brene Brown. Well, Shanti's research on kindness and how the key beneficiary of us being kind is us, it changed my life. And I cite it constantly in my shows. If you listen to me in my shows, you probably heard me talk about Shanti Feldhahn. Well, in this coming episode, 901 of The Ziggler Show, we talk about her latest research on joy. What creates joy? And maybe more importantly, we start off with her sharing her latest research on the number one inhibitor of joy. And it's something most all of us do every single day. And honestly, our culture is awash in it, I think, more than ever today. It's profound and the awareness has literally, it's changed my life and will continue to be changing my life for the absolute better. So till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.